Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hello, welcome to Forest Focus as Nottingham Forest stopped the rot with a 1-1 draw at Wolves on Saturday to leave them five points above the relegation zone in 16th in the Premier League. Was it the result that kickstarts the season or was it another false dawn? Will Steve Cooper be manager in a few weeks and have Forest finally found a way to play without Tyro or Wanyi? We'll discuss all that in the company of, first of all, Reds fan Emily Anderson. Morning, Emily. Are you well? Good morning, yeah. Happy Monday. Good, good. Good to have you with us. And uh, also returning is Michael Temple. Temps, you okay? Yeah, good, mate. I don't know if this conversation is going to energise me or not, but feeling okay. Yes, we shall find out in the course of the next hour. And also joining us today is TNT Sports commentator and radio follow broadcaster and Reds fan Darren Fletcher. Fletch, good to have you with us. How are you? Morning. All good, thank you. Good, good. Uh, Temps, why don't you kick us off? Obviously, we're going to have some Steve Cooper discussion and look ahead to the Spurs game, but it's all predicated on what happened against Wolves. Uh, what did you make of it? I was just trying to think of Steve Cooper's headspace because he's picked a side which really surprised me. He's obviously decided he wants to be represented in what was potentially last throw of the dice for him by players that he felt he could trust. However, that came at the expense of leaving out more technically uh, gifted players and picking a side that I don't think anybody saw coming. So we, we got a point. It was a good point. There were chances second half for us to, to win the game, perhaps most notably that second Harry Toffolo header. But he's in a difficult space now because blood and thunder will, will get you so far. And a, a central midfield three of Mangala, Yates, Koyate, um, whilst he clearly backs those players and trusts them to enact a game plan and, and to run, cover the distances and do what they need to do. We've got some serious talent sat on that bench, which has been signalled to, in no uncertain terms, that he doesn't trust them as much as the guys that he put his faith in on Saturday. So I'm fascinated to see the side that he picks for the Spurs game. I still really want us to put together a run of results um, which prevents the need for any change of manager. However, I fear he's he's got himself in a, a bit of a cul-de-sac here where any kind of selection... Um, is going to bring counter challenges. He's going to leave some a lot of players uh, unhappy. So whilst I'm really pleased with that point, I just can't quite get into Cooper's headspace at the minute and work out where he's going to go next. What, what did you take from the game, Emily? For overall watching it, more more half glass half full and glass half empty, I guess. Um, yeah, I mean overall, it was obviously a much better performance than Fulham on Wednesday, but I think. The Sunday League team could have done better than the full performance on Wednesday. Um, I thought our wing backs were excellent. Nico Toffolo put in a, a really good shift, particularly pleased with Nico. He's been out of the side for a long time and he just a consummate professional came in and did the job. Um, a bit like Temps, I feel like I'm not sure where we go from here with Cooper. As you know, I'm, I'm fully supportive of the manager, but I feel like everything he's, he's doing at the moment is being scrutinised game to game. Um, and actually, if we do string a load of performances together, we wouldn't be in this mess in the first place. We're not going to suddenly start 
winning every game. Um, we're, we're in a relegation dogfight. We didn't want to be in that position, but but we currently are. That is exactly where we are. So the games aren't going to be pretty. We're not going to have um, the dynamism, the attacking threat that we de so desperately want. Um, so yes, I am more glass half full, but every single game I feel like, is this the last game? Is this his last game? What are we doing? I just wish we could have some stability. Yeah, I think, Fletch, that's the big thing for me coming out of it. This kind of cycle of one game from the sack, got three games, one game from the sack, have a good run and we're fine. It feels unsustainable to me as a football club. I don't think it's happening with too many other clubs. Where are you at on the managerial situation? Because I agree with what Emily said. It, it, this instability doesn't suit us going forwards. Where are you at? I think, I think Emily nailed it. I don't think any any industry, any business, any sporting institution can operate like that. I think you have to have some knowledge as to what the process is going to be and who's going to be in charge. I mean, Temps can speak to this maybe better than all of us with his experience at the at the cricket club and the kind of processes that they go through. But this is the third time in a year that Steve's job's been hanging by a result, hanging by a thread, and nobody seems to know what the outcome is going to be. I wasn't surprised by what he did on Saturday in terms of if that's your last chance to keep your job. Yes, you're going to pick players that you know. But I think it's symptomatic of one of the key problems that you don't know. And Steve said this himself after Fulham. He said on the television, you, you basically knew the Fulham team, but it's very difficult to know mine. And I think that's his problem. I think it's OK making seven changes at Wolves, changing the system, nicking a 1-1, but at what point does he decide what his best 11 is and what his best shape is? Because until he does that, this is going to continue. And every time you look at it, it's four, five, six, seven alterations to a starting lineup. And it's not really giving anybody the chance, neither players nor manager, to get any kind of consistency in what they do. Now, I know we can look at that and say, yeah, but they brought 13 players in and seven or eight came in. I get that, but we've been there before. Now, he's got to be strong enough, I think, that if he looks at the players that were there prior to the new arrivals and thinks they're better for Forrest right now, then he's got to pick them because he's ultimately going to lose his job if he picks the wrong team. So I think there's a lot of layers to this. There's a lot of elements to this. I looked today that they played 16 matches and 18 different players have started at least five of them. Now that kind of tells you just how in flux the team's been this year. And I think part of the problem is You've got to build relationships on and off the pitch. You've got to build partnerships on a pitch. It's difficult to do that. Limited training time. It's difficult to do that when you're changing the team as much as you are. I'm really conflicted by the whole thing. I have to be honest. I've looked at this from both ways. And I get why it's such a difficult decision. If you look at it statistically, you'd look at one win in 12. You'd look at the league table. You'd look at the teams around them improving. You look at the away form that never seems like it's going to get any better. Two wins since promotion, too many changes and all of this. And you go, well, it's an obvious thing to, to sack the manager. You then look at it the other way and say, well, what's the realistic alternative? Is there anybody jumping out the page who has to come in and manage Forrest? The relationship he's got with the town and the fans is big because it is unique. I don't think there's a manager in the, in the, in the division that's got that kind of relationship. There was a reaction from the players who played after midweek to Saturday, whether, whether people who are anti-Cooper want to believe that or not, they were. Um, and he still seems invested in the job that he's doing. He doesn't seem to have checked out. So there's a lot of reasons to keep him and a lot of reasons to, to let him go. I think the owner needs a little bit of credit in all of this because I looked at it six managers in 16 months at Olympiacos. So he's kind of parked what his tendencies are and gone, I'm going <clears> to <throat> have a look at this through different eyes. And I think he's been a lot more patient than he gets credit for. I know a lot was made that somebody found his pass in the bush and all that kind of thing. I'd have thrown my pass in the bush after watching that shambles at Fulham. He's entitled to do that. He's in for hundreds of millions of pounds into this club, so he can actually do what he wants. But I think he's been pretty sensible the way that he's gone about it. He's not seen an alternative out there. So he's not just made some crazy knee-jerk decision to fire the manager to bring in somebody he's not really got a great deal of confidence in. So... I just think it's a really conflicting situation. And I think in an if you had an honesty booth and you put 100 Forest fans in there, you'd probably get about 100 different views on, on what should happen here. And I don't think you'd say that anybody is fundamentally wrong. It's just a really a really strange and unique situation, I think. Um, just before I throw it to Tam, so pick up on what you said, uh, Fletch, it's a good point. 
Uh, good to have so many people with us, 300 with us already. So do like and subscribe if you can. Someone's congratulating you, Fletch, for hosting a very fine pub quiz at the Belfry on Saturday. <laughs> yes, you know, it was an evening for charity. And the quiz was written by somebody else. And it must be the worst quiz that I've ever read. But we managed to get out a bit of fun with it. It was, it was quite <laughs> mad. It was, I, I learned more about the city of Nottingham than I ever knew before. So I, I, I feel... I feel more Nottinghamian now than I ever have, and I've spent my entire life here, so it was quite quite illuminating. Uh, one more question for you, Fletch, that a lot of people have asked me on Twitter to ask you. Are you surprised by the situation we're in? Because I think last time you were on, or a couple of times before that, you said you didn't fear for a relegation battle at all. Obviously, you look at the table now, and it's fair to say we are in one. Are you shocked by how far we've fallen so fast? Uh I think I'm a little bit surprised at the improvement the teams around us have made, if I'm honest. Um, Chris Wilder going back into Sheffield United and then getting a win at the weekend surprised me. Um, the competitive nature of Luton against any team in the, in the Premier League has surprised me. The ability for Everton to be bulletproof despite the points deduction has amazed me. And I think Sean Dice deserves a tremendous amount of credit for that. I still don't think Forest are going to get relegated. I'll be absolutely amazed if, if there aren't three teams worse than, than this one in the league, because I think at some stage they will find some measure of consistency. And I think the home form at some stage will put them in a position where they'll be OK. I think thoughts of being 10th, 12th, that kind of thing, we can maybe shelve that the way that it's looking. I, I don't necessarily think second season, it's too bad to just stay in the league. A lot of teams get relegated in the second season. It's why they talk about second season syndrome, but I do think it should be better. And I also think as well, I think there are two things that, that concern me a little bit about this Forest situation. The first one is Wolves. And Gary O'Neill went in five days before the season had started and inherited a squad that had been ripped apart over the course of the summer. Some of the most influential players had gone. And within a very, very short space of time, he's identified the way that he wants to play. He's managed to get the full buy-in from the players and they've got a real identity. And I don't think Forest have yet as a Premier League side. And the other one would be Everton. If I look at the Everton squad, I think Forest have way more resources than them. I think player for player, they're stronger. And they've had the biggest kick in the teeth that any team are going to get in the Premier League this season by having 10 points taken off. And they just carry on ploughing forward. And I'd like to see that kind of tenacity come from our dressing room and that belief be used as a, as a motivating factor for, for Forest. And I think that those two... Those two situations in the Premier League just kind of set my alarm bells ringing and concerned me because they're really big things for two managers and two clubs to deal with. And they've dealt with it really well. And here we are in what should be a really positive situation. Better players coming to the club than they had last season. And now we've lurched back into this crisis situation by December and it's all rolling again. So I think they're, they're two things that really stand out. For me. But look, the reality is the league table tells you one win in 12, you're in a relegation battle. Three or four points above the relegation zone, you're in a relegation battle. I don't think they're going to get relegated. But yes, it, it has changed the way that that I, I foresaw this, this season going. But that, to a certain extent, is credit to the teams who have come up and, and done better than I thought they were going to be able to. Um, throwing it to you. Temps. Fletch spoke there about, you know, you work at the cricket club. It's not, obviously, it's not exactly the same. There's parallels between you guys. You made a decision that it was time to move Samit Patel on. Jake Ball, that's not the right way of phrasing it, is it? <laughs> you know what I mean? Part ways with two players who serve the club so well. What's the kind of process you think that's going on at Forest right now where they're drawing up? I mean, is, is it, but it's got to be more than pros and cons, hasn't it, of what, what to do? There's got to be a whole debrief of, what they're going to do long-term with the manager, with recruitment. They've got to keep evolving the football club, haven't they, and making some big decisions and getting them right right now. I just have the Alex Ferguson mantra in my head about moving on good players to bring in better ones. And that's what Forrest have tried to do in every single transfer window that we've, we've seen since Maranakis took ownership of the club. Look, there have been, there've been some hits and some misses, but I, th I think what's concerning now is there's been a bit of a systemic failure in trying to get the best out of the players that we've signed, despite them having technical attributes that go far beyond the players that found themselves incumbent at the at the club. So that's a that's a concern. We've all seen the clips of Sangare. We've all seen the games that he won for PSV. He was involved in a 9-0 international match. He comes to Forest and passes to the right-back for a living. So there's, there's, there's something amiss there in trying to integrate and coordinate 
and get the best out of these players. Dominguez, you could argue, has been a, a little bit unlucky. He was he was obviously vilified for that straight pass at, at West Ham, got dragged at half-time and has, has found it difficult to, to reintegrate since then. But Forrest aren't about to sell six, seven, eight of these players in the next transfer window. So we have to get to a point where they can come back into the team and, and have a, a positive impact. Because whilst I'm a fan of Yates and Koyati, I don't think they're the answer if we truly are going to kick on and get towards mid-table. Process in any football club is very different to a cricket club where seas are calmer. We were able to think far more in the round uh, and, and plan over a much longer, longer period of time. You need instant success and the level of finance that's that's been injected into Forest and the expectation of, of the ownership demands, commands faster success than, than what we're seeing at the minute. The interesting point for me is the Fletch mentioned this. What it what is the mood of, of the supporters at this moment in time? Because after Fulham, I, I felt that whilst everyone was still pro Cooper in the sense he's a, he's a great fella, he's handled himself with integrity, and he's kicked on our football club after the twenty blokes that went before him single handedly failed to even get us out of the championship. They do still feel there is a, a bit of an inevitability that he will depart at some point before the new year because he has to find a win from somewhere. We're facing an exciting Spurs side on Friday. Manu come here on the 30th. Our other two games are Newcastle, Newcastle and Bournemouth, um, who more than capable, as we saw at the weekend, in Bournemouth's case, of, of taking big sides apart. So I'm asking myself, where's the next win coming from? And how is Steve Cooper going to orchestrate it? What would I do? And I think I would have to put faith in some of those new signings. I would have to have that that blend between the blood and thunder of a Yatesy, a Coyote, and the craft and intelligence of perhaps a Dominguez or someone or MGW back in the 10 role, whatever it's going to be to try and get the, the, the best of both worlds. Because you can't just lurch between writing off different pockets of your of your squad at, at particular times. So my, my hunch is still, it'll be very difficult for Steve Cooper to get through to January. I think the owner has showed a lot of patience. Uh, and this was mentioned in Rob Dorsett's tweet over the weekend, wasn't it? He's obviously had some kind of contact with the club. Maranakis has taken his, his finger off the trigger because of what he's perceived as the fans rallying around Steve Cooper. And I just wonder if they are. Are the fans trying to save Steve Cooper's job? Or are, are the fans just paying respect to a fellow that's done a fantastic thing for our club and our city over a period of time, but may have taken it as far as he can? I think it's a really subtle and interesting point and I'm really interested to see what the reaction is on Friday night. Mm -hmm. uh, two for you then, Emily. Um, firstly, on um, the manager then. I mean, do you think the owner should be listening so much to the fans? Because they are still behind him and I don't think they're ever going to turn. And if the owner wants to make a change, then eventually he probably should. But I know you fully believe in Cooper. Do you, what, do you praise the owner for his patience or do you think he's got to just make his mind up at some point? I, I totally get why the owner's doing what he's doing. And his first and foremost, he wants a successful football club because he's put millions of pounds into the club. Equally, PR-wise, he knows that Cooper is a very popular manager at Forest. So there are times he's admitted he was going to pull the trigger last season and he decided against it. And I genuinely think after the Leeds game last season, the fans kept him in his job. Um, but I think for the fans, we do need some stability. I am firmly in the stick with Cooper camp just because... I don't see anyone doing any better a job at the moment. And a really good example of that is Pochettino at Chelsea. They've spent hundreds of millions of pounds. He is a top flight manager. He is a proven manager. He's gone in. They got beaten 2-0 by Everton at the weekend. He's got a bunch of superstars that he can't get a tune out of at the moment. And there's so many examples of that. Ten Hag struggling with Man United. My worry is... Who else is going to do a better job than Cooper in the long term? I feel like we've got to go through this short-term pain for long-term gain. Um, he's Every challenge he's come up against thus far, he's overcome. And at the moment, like I said in, uh, earlier on, every single game is being scrutinised. Imagine being in your job and knowing that every little thing you do, every tiny minutiae of your job is being scrutinised. Just let him get on with it. And in terms of talent, of course, we need to reintegrate the talent. But at the moment we saw in Fulham, he wasn't getting a tune out of them. And I'd rather have players that work hard than talent that's being lazy. 
So for mm -hmm. me, it's stick with Cooper. And I'm speaking with no inside knowledge. I have no ins at the club. I am a fan. And I think that you can sometimes think that maybe the fan base are turning when you look at social media. But we have to remember social media is such a tiny proportion of our fan base. Look at those fans that go week in, week out, standing on the terraces. I talk to them. They want to stick with Cooper. Equally, if Maranakis decides now's the time to go, Cooper will be fine. He'll be more than fine. Long term, it will hurt us more. Do you know what, on that, I, I think it's interesting, the, the point that Emily makes, because there's this, there's this unknown, and you don't know who next is. So next yeah. could be an unbelievable success or an unmitigated failure. And I think that concerns a fan base who have lurched, as Temp said, from one bad situation to another over 20 permanent managers so of course people are concerned by that um my challenge to him would be that, that he's been in charge of 54 premier league games now now i think at that stage you should at least have a genuine identity as a group even if you bring in a lot of players pochettino i think he's in a it's a good comparison because pochettino is almost cooper multiplied but they've got an owner that wants to bring in a load of players a lot of similarities but he's only 16 games in, in league terms in. Steve's had 54. So my worry is that how big does the sample size need to be before somebody makes a decision? Now, I like the fella. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm coming at it from a situation where as a Forest supporter, I'm giddy on the success that he's brought the, the town and, and the club over the last couple of years. But there has to be a, a realistic element to it as well. And I think it's interesting that the team that dived out the page when Temps mentioned the fixtures was Bournemouth. That that feels like a really big night because I mean I don't think many people expect Forest to do anything great against Spurs. Just the way that Spurs play feels like a nightmare for Forest. Mm. Then you get Bournemouth, who have massively improved over Iriola, who by the way was rumoured to be the choice if Steve went to the back end of last year. It took him a while to settle, but now you're seeing him put his identity on it. And I think the interesting thing is, I wonder whether it's in the manager's mind if he plays the new players in a way that the new players want to play, they get blitzed at Fulham. If he does that against Tottenham, he could get blitzed again. But I think he knows if he plays the players that he knows and trusts and systemly thinks works, at least they're not going to get smashed up. And I think this, is the, this must be the massive debate in the room with his coaching staff when he looks at all, the, all of, all of the, the film and all the research that he does going into the game. Is he prepared to, to throw the new players out there in a system that you've got to use against a team that can take you to pieces? Or is because he's concerned about his future, would he go damage limitation and say, well, let's play with a back five, make it a back eight, let's try and nick a, a goal on the counter. It, we did okay with it last year because you know that you're not going to get battered doing that. So I, I just think... Again, we've, we've every everything that anybody says, whether it's Emily or Temps, or it just brings more layers, doesn't it, to the to the whole thing. It makes the makes the situation more murky rather than clearer. And I and I think this kind of encapsulates what it must be like in there at the moment, whether you're Evangelos Maranakis or his son, or you're, you're Ross Wilson, or you're Steve, or you're Alan Tate, or Andy Reid, whatever. It must be a bang your head against the wall kind of day because. For every answer, there's a question, and for every question, there's not often an answer. So, this is just—I think I just think it's a, it's a really messy situation. I really do. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun, for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I, I totally agree with you. And as you were talking there, I'm flitting with my opinions in my head all the time about where we should go. And part of me thinks, are we overcomplicating this? This is our second season in the Premier League. We are not in a position to be in the top half of the table. We were never going to be. We did well against Villa. We did well against Chelsea. But essentially, we are a team that has been out of the top flight for all these years. We're in our second season. I just think part of me thinks, are we expecting too much? We're overcomplicating everything. And we have such an ambitious owner that that... That is part of our problem. We've got we've got an owner that wants us to be amazing now. And don't get me wrong, I would love it if we were pushing for top 10 right now. We are nowhere near that. We are nowhere near that. And it really frustrates me that we've got players like Sangare and Dominguez that we know they can play football, yet for whatever reason, you wouldn't have known they were on the pitch against Fulham. And as a, as a fan that pays money to go and watch my team, I find that really insulting that these multi-million pound players don't appear to be able to I don't know they just can't they can't work together at the moment and I I don't know what's gone wrong and it's so frustrating. Emily I don't think you're on your own feeling like that and there'll be some supporters and maybe some people internally who would put that responsibility on the players are the new players who have come in invested enough to perform the way they performed at the previous clubs but there will also then be another section who will say, but is that not the manager's job to make sure that these new players come in and are integrated properly? Other other clubs over the course of the transfer window have signed players who have come in and made an impact, made their team better. So I think, again, it's which side you you land on. Do you blame Steve and the staff for not being able to get more out of some of those talented players, ones that Temp said earlier are, supposed to be more talented than ones that were were there before? Or do you look at the players and say, well, are they here for the right reasons? And are they going to give to the club what the fans expect of them? So, again, we don't know that. The player knows that. The manager knows that. But we're we're on the outside looking in. And, again, you've just added another layer to to, to all of it because that's that's the unanswerable question. How motivated is Ibrahima Sangari? I don't know. I've never met him. The only thing I'll say to counter that is Murillo's come in and hit the ground running. So why is yeah. he why is he done all right? Is it his attitude? He's clearly got a really positive attitude. He's a player that has come in day one, bang, he's off. So yeah. is that just coincidence? Again, you, you don't know. And what I would say is, having spoken to the manager about Murillo, he said that from day one, he went onto the training pitch and was one of the best players and gave him no choice but to put him into the team. So that's clearly part of his makeup. And it's probably the reason why people think he's going to play for a, a top six club before too long. And, and, and that might be something that a lot of people agree with. But again, you're right. You know, some people have and some people haven't. But I just thought at the weekend, going kind of going back to right to the top of the, the question about what we thought about Wolves. I just thought at Wolves, they looked a lot more like last season's Forest team, not just in terms of personnel, but how they went about it. And some of the stuff we've we've seen before, and it might add credence to Emily's point that maybe it's a case of not trying to run before you can walk in Premier League terms, and it, the process might just take longer. I, I I can't see too many complaining if by next summer, June, July, when the fixtures come out, Forest are waiting for another season of Premier League fixtures. I think I don't think anybody's going to be too concerned. And I, I, I go back to the point again. I don't think they're going to get relegated, but I just think it's how quick some people think the process needs to be, and how the process actually needs to be to get them where they need to go. Uh, for me, I kind of think we've we've only ever had one Premier League identity, which is three at the back, tough to beat. And I kind of feel that's what we've got to go back to. But I would play Sangare or Dominguez against Spurs. And you can't freeze them out. You've got to play well, at least one of them. You can kind of freeze Olerain out if you don't see it in because he's a free transfer. But you've invested so much money in Sangare, you've got to give him an opportunity. Do you feel, Temps, that 
this is the way to go. And while you talk, my wife's been pissing about with the plugs, I think, and I'm going to have to plug my laptop in. So if I'm more than a minute, then uh, talk amongst yourselves. But talk to us about our identity going forward. Attempts. You've got to walk before you can run, haven't you? And, and that, that means defensive solidity and, and first and foremost, not conceding goals freely as, as we were against Fulham. So the identity at the minute is three at the back, three, three centre-backs, um, a low block and, and counter. But we signed the players um, that, that I thought would, would translate into us becoming a back four side that was more comfortable in possession. Now, in either one of these scenarios, it becomes a bit redundant when you haven't got anyone up top that can, that can stick it away. Because when Taiwo's in this side, we're 30% better. Gaffer pushed hard to sign Chris Wood. The finance was found. We got it across the line. Divock Origi perhaps thrust upon him. But now we've got it, we're in a position where we don't trust either of those players to, to, to bag for us. And that's their only role in this side. I still think that Chris Wood needs to start. We saw the flashes against Luton uh, of what he, what he can do when he, when he has an opportunity and has the right service. He's the least worst option. And this must be addressed in January. But the identity for me, we still have to uh, have the ambition to, to become comfortable with the back four. Fletch articulated it a couple of months ago in Cooper's desire to have two centre-halves, minding the, the, the two most advanced opposition players, using the full-backs, having that, that three in midfield, wingers that can cheat a little bit, and an out-and-out number nine. That's where we want to get to. But having seen it fail so badly uh, against Fulham, I think he has reverted to to the the tried and tested low possession counter attacking football, but neither system is 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 convincing to me at the minute. Whilst we have such a lack of firepower, wearing the nine shirt. You see, the interesting mm. thing for the shapers, Matt Matt keeps calling it a back three. It's not a back three, is it? This is the problem. It's a back five. When they play that system, it's a back five, and you know that when they come out like that, as Temps has just said, there they're going to be almost damage limitation from the start. There is a theory that they could be three at the back and get the wing backs up, and all of a sudden you can turn that system into a very attacking system. We just don't see Forrest really play that way in that shape. It seems to me when they go to that shape, it's because they're going to soak it up and try and play that way. They never seem to play that, they did in the championship. They played that shape in the championship and took teams apart by, by going the other way. So you can do it. It just strikes me that it, if you sat him down and put a gun to his head, Steve, and said, what do you want to do? I think he'd say that he wants to develop a team that's attacking, back four, plays nicely. But I think if you then said, now tell me how you have to play right now, I think he'd probably say, probably the way we played at Wolves at the weekend at this stage of the development. And that might be a conflict between what ownership see, what he sees, and it might be kind of practicality over ambition as opposed to ambition over practicality that might be the way to go now. But all, all, I, all I would say is that my experience of managers who are under pressure, they don't tend to gamble. They tend to go back to what they're comfortable with and what they know. And I'd be really surprised if on Friday night, it's not the very similar shape that we saw against Arsenal on the day we survived last year, because you've got to stop them. What he, one thing he can't do, at this point and survive is get absolutely turned over at the city ground. He just can't. I mean, that I don't think he can lose at home to Bournemouth. I mean, he certainly can't get rolled by, by Tottenham. Um, so I, you know, I, I think that I think that it, it'll be a practical approach. I don't see how it can be anything else in the circumstances because I just think it's a it's too it's too much of a chance. If you, if you play against Tottenham the way you played against Fulham, it'll be worse than it was at Fulham. That's that's the problem. What did we think of the goal that we conceded? I think from a Wolves perspective, it's a great touch on the half turn from Cunha. He he, he finds himself on the end of the the uh, the, the pullback to, to score what's a decent goal. But watching it critically from a Forest perspective, he, he does have the freedom. He finds that pocket of space between the lines, doesn't he? And he's able to orchestrate uh, a three-four pass move with very little pressure on him in possession. His run into the box and, and ultimately his his finish was was that a goal that we failed to stop, or was it one that they they crafted and deserved? I've seen a lot of them this year and I saw them play against Liverpool and they played Liverpool off the park for 45 minutes and ran out of gas. I saw them against Spurs and they lasted longer and got two, two late goals and won. Don't underestimate that performance on Saturday because they've been really good at home and, and they went to Arsenal the week before and lost by the odd goal. They're always in games. Gary O'Neill's got them in a position where they're always in games. 
They've got a good system that suits them. They've got players who have bought in. They all work extremely hard. They're not bad at the back with Kilman and Dawson. The keeper's good. Joao Gomez in midfield, I think he's one of the finds of the season. They've got energy in the team as well. And when they get Neto back, they're a good side. And it, it, But for those penalty decisions, they'd be top eight. So they're a better team than the league position suggests. And I thought that... I, I expected Forrest after Fulham to lose there, just based on what I'd seen from Wolves. And I don't think we should underestimate the performance that the Forest players gave there, because I think that's a better point than it looks based on looking at the table and not seeing a great deal of Wolves. So I, I was quite impressed by that. And they are capable of opening the team up with a goal like that. And Cunha, by the way, 50-odd million quid, doesn't score many goals and people hold that against him when you're a forward who's cost that amount of money. But he plays that slightly withdrawn role. He plays wide on either side. He'll drop into a 10 position, works all day, leads the press. He's a really, really good player. And I think he could play for a really good team in the Premier League and was playing for a really good team in Spain in Atletico Madrid. He's a good player, really good player, under, un, underrated player. Just doesn't score a stack of goals. But it's a good result, that Wolves, against a team that can physically dominate you if you let them and outwork you if you let them with a crowd behind them that's quite similar to ours when they've got the tails up. So I thought it was a, good, I thought, I thought it was a, a well-worked goal, but I thought it was a really good result for Forrest away based on what had, what had happened in the midweek, Emily. And don't yeah. you think as well over the course of a season, if you look back at a season and saw that we got a point at Molyneux, you'd, you'd quite happily take that. I didn't realise this, but we've not won at Molyneux since the Clipper years. So they, they are great at home and they're a really good positive side. And real credit to those players that, yeah, they might not be technically as able as some of our, our so-called superstars, but my God, Nico put a shift in, like more than a shift in. And Toff, for me, is always your seven out of ten you can rely, he's the reliable um, left back or left wing back. And I just thought the pair of them were brilliant. And Mangala, there, there were plenty that put a shift in. And that, for me, that was a really positive sign. Emily, can I ask you a question? And you as well, Tim, because th this is one of the things I don't understand. The thing that kind of stands out for me this year is this outhouse to penthouse scenario that players are having to deal with. So Nico Williams has gone from being bombed at one stage. Then he's in at the weekend and, and, and Emily quite rightly said had a really good game. Joe Worrell disappeared. He's the club captain. Whatever side of the story is, no side of it. Gone from huge, huge praise at Chelsea when they won to hardly seen again. And they're not the only two. Players are, are in or out, but, but it's, it's black or white. There's kind of this alarming, this alarming change of circumstance for individuals. I think that then adds another problem for the players, that you've really got to dig deep into your character when that kind of thing's happening, when you're baffled by the lack of involvement and then all of a sudden you're a starter and you're expected to go in there and, 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 and do really good things. And I, I think, again, that's another thing that I look at and I think kind of seeing that Man United with Ten Hag and look where that's getting him, you know, Sancho frozen, et cetera, and it's not, it's not really working. I don't get that. You know, what, what From a I don't feel like Nico's been frozen out. I think he's been frustrated. Um, people have said that he, he was frustrated in training because I think he works really hard. But he's, he just shows, doesn't he, what a professional he is. That, yeah, I wouldn't use the term frozen out, but if that's what you want to say, frozen out, he, he's come in and he's done a job. They're he's professional. Squad, but as he's the point I'm making. He's gone from like not being in squads at all yeah. and, then, yeah. and then you're in and you start and it's kind of like, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I get the point. I, get, I, I get the point. After the Chelsea game, so the Chelsea win, Nico played in that game, right? Did Nico feature in that game and played really well? I was really surprised that he was then effectively dropped. So, the, from a fan's point of view, yes, it is baffling, but I have no idea what goes on in training. I don't I know what happens. I'm not privy to that. So, we I'm just always like Nico, and I think Nico is a star of the future. So, you know, but I think he'll he'll thrive. He'll thrive, won't he? Because he's a great player. He's got a great attitude, and he's he can cross a ball in. So, I think the him. point that Fletch is laying down is during that championship charge. If you were in the side or out the side, you were part of it. There was a togetherness, and because we're blitzing folk every week, you can understand if you weren't in the side. Steve Cooper could justify why you weren't in the side. He kept you involved. Sam Surridge is a great example of this. And when you were called upon, you played. What we're seeing now is in the pressure cooker of the Premier League, players are being frozen out for making technical mistakes. 
Was is probably a good example of this. He's he's guilty of having another elite athlete flick him off the ball, bring a ball down and score. Felipe did that against Fulham, and it, it hasn't been held against him in, in quite the same in quite the same way. The challenge now is in that pressure cooker, words are had, views are exchanged, and you're losing. So if you're in the bomb squad or parking a different part of the car park and you're not involved, you, you can't. Your, your instinct is not to buy into the turnaround that the manager is trying to bring about. You're probably thinking a change of gaffer here might suit me. It'll give me a, a fresh start, a chance to impress somebody else. Every professional footballer backs himself to be in a side, and it's hard to justify not picking them when they're seeing their squad mates put it put a, a run of defeats together. I think that's what's changed, Fletch. I think the the momentum that Forrest had on the up and the forgiveness they were given last year when survival was fine has kind of dissipated now, and and that that pressure has translated into a you know potentially a slight change in Steve Cooper's character in the way that he handles players experience and adversity. But it is so much tougher to keep a squad together when the run of results is as dire as it's been in the last three and four weeks. To rebuff that though, Temps, and again, we do not know what happens behind closed doors. What do you make of Toff's comments? There are no Toff, issues. Yeah, look, Toff, Toff spoke excellently, didn't he? So he, he went out with a form of words that praised the owner, backed the gaffer and, and potentially uh, bought him some time after himself having great game and and just just missing that chance to to win to win the match with his his header from Nico's um second pinpoint delivery so yeah Toff spoke very very well repaid the faith that Steve Cooper has shown him but he's one at the minute who is in that inner circle who is playing week in week out who is being given more responsibility in the side so you understand a why he's put up b what he's considered himself to his key messages to to get across to to the to the world's media and he's executed it perfectly, hasn't he? I think Harry Toffolo was a consummate professional, both on and off the pitch um, at, at the weekend. And you can understand why. He's had a very, very difficult start to the season. Potentially thought he was going to be banned for three, four, five, six months. And now he finds himself one of the first names on the team. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. One thing I, I don't think they've been very good at, and this, this, is, this is not the manager's problem, but one thing they've not been very good at, They've been really good at getting players in, but they're not really good at getting players out. And then that does create this numbers issue. So Emily talks about training. I'd be very surprised if all of them can train on the same pitch because there are so many people there. So I think that automatically creates a problem for the manager because he has to... This is Pochettino's problem at Chelsea. And I think when Potter was there prior to him, somebody said to me that there were two training pitches and you were actually in the bomb squad at training, let alone at the match, because there were too many players. Todd Bowley brought too many in, and he couldn't accommodate players for training, let alone on a match day, Potter, which made it impossible. Now, it's not quite that bad at Forest, but the, the, the numbers are excessive, I think, within a squad for a club like ours. But you wouldn't expect it to operate like that at this stage. I think that creates another challenge for the manager. But he can't keep everybody happy. And he's a manager that's always tried to do that, I think, since he's been at Forest. That he's, he's been really good at trying to generate relationships and keep everybody close and keep everybody tight. And that challenge gets more and more difficult with the more players that come in. That's an easier thing to do if you're good at getting them out. But if you're not, you end up with a situation where you've got too many, too many people. I mean, look, all the conversations we're having here, I think it would be remarkable if this eventually goes away. It just feels like there are you're almost at a tipping point that if it's if it's three times in a year, you know, after Leicester, towards the back end of last season, as Emily mentioned, after Leeds, and now, it can't keep happening. And I, I, one thing that really winds me up is this notion that a manager's got a game to save his job or two games. It's no different on Saturday than he was on Wednesday. They don't become different people. The process has to be more scientific than that. You can't say, well, if you lose that game, you're off. You may as well sack them there and then because you've proved by saying that you have no faith in them whatsoever. 
that you're saying, unless you can do this, I'm going to do that. Can't operate like that. This has to be a big picture view. And they, they took a big picture view at the outset, and they've got to do it again now. He's got to look big picture, and he's got to go. The owner has to sit down with his trusted confidants and probably with his manager too and say, right, let's map out the next 12 months. Where do we think we can go? How are we going to get there? What's your process going to be? This is what I'm going to do. I expect us to do this. I want these players. I think my club should have this identity and then work out whether the manager can provide it. Now, if he can, you can get away from all this and just let the process be the process and support each other. If you sit down with him and think, can't do it, this is not going to work, then you've got a simple decision to make. You're then going to go out in the market and find a guy that can do it. So I don't buy this. He's got X number of games. He hasn't. It doesn't work that way. It can't work that way. Otherwise, it's it's amateur hour if, if that's the way it's being done. And I, I think he's far too experienced as an owner to go down that route because he's been looking after Olympiacos in high-pressure situations for a long time. So to me, this it, it feels like there's inevitability to it because it can't keep rearing its head. There's not been another manager in the Premier League in the last 12 months who's been threatened with the sack as often as Steve, and he's still at the club. It just doesn't work that way. Eventually, there has to be a tipping point. Um, I just find it hard to imagine that this, in the next two or three weeks, is all going to disappear. And we're never going to mention Steve losing his job again for another 12 months. It just, I just don't, I can't see it. And, it, and if it's like, has to then unsettle everybody, because he'll have, he'll have some players in the dressing room who are, 100% with it. Harry Toffolo's words at the weekend tells you that Harry's one of them. And there will be others like that. Absolutely 100% behind the manager because of what he's done for, for them as an individual. There will also be others who are completely the opposite because it's just inevitable in a, in a dressing room. You go into any dressing room in the Premier League, there'll even be players at Man City who don't like Pep Guardiola. It's just, it's just the, the nature of the beast. So... <laughs> It just strikes me as really difficult to turn it from this yeah. point. Yeah, I feel that's that's the big takeaway from this whole hour that this is the unsustainable situation. Um, just before I make a couple extra points, we must give uh, a plug for our sponsor, the Trent Navigation. Should have done that earlier, but there are 500 people with us, so it's good to uh, have so many people seeing this. So uh, the Nav during the Euros, uh, there are tickets out now for the England games. They are Serbia June 16th, Denmark June 20th, and Slovenia June 25th. You can get three tickets for the price of two if you book them now with the uh, link for tickets in the description obviously the best uh, fan zone in all of Nottingham for fans to go watch the game so get down there if you can it says there's a playlist here which I assume is chosen by Greg Mitchell uh, who's not here to plug a band this week so I'll get a musical reference in for Greg but do get your tickets if you can um, I want to just go back to Temps on one thing because you know I love a bit of media messaging Temps and I thought Cooper and Toffolo were very clever and really threw the ball into the owner's court uh, after the game. So Cooper says at the end of his Radio Nottingham interview, uh, teed up nicely by Colin Frey, Friday night lights, yeah, I'll be ready. Effectively, I'm up for it. I'll be there. Which is almost a challenge to the owner, I thought. And Toff as well, like on national TV, praising the owner for sticking with him. I mean, a masterful politics, I thought, as much as anything. What did you think? Well, Flesh knows this as well. Radio Nottingham side, the, the player and the manager have to speak to eight global broadcasters. So you, you do have to be coordinated. You do find yourself saying the same thing. It does become quite polished. And that was the match of the interview was probably the third or fourth time Toff had, had trotted out his lines. But he, he did so in an exemplary fashion. The main thing I say about the PR is that the, the family, the, the Greek family, are themselves... Um, obsessed might be the right word with with perception how they're perceived how their decisions are perceived you see messages in things like the announcement of the forest fan zone where they talk about the the owners wanting to improve the facility improve the match day experience it's it's very much acknowledged that they're behind certain initiatives at, at the ground this is this is the, the the greatest opportunity to have a a positive or, or negative um, impact on on your public relation how how you are uh, represented in the media through your words, your actions, and the decisions that you that you take. So Maranakis does take the temperature of the fans ahead of any decision um, that that he makes. And what's interesting now, like you say, is the subtlety of the players and the management 
using that to, as part of their discourse with, with the ownership to, to buy more time for for this particular group. So, yeah, fascinating. I think they both they both spoke exceptionally well. I don't doubt for a second the sincerity of every word that Steve Cooper said. He wants to be here. He's still motivated to be to be here. Plan A hasn't worked. Plan B might work. Uh, we may even see Plan C against Spurs. Um, who knows? But but yeah, the the ownership are taking do take note of things like that. Do take note of the the fan reaction um, to that. And I think the fan reaction to the Cooper and Toffolo interviews after the game was extremely positive. I would love to know what the Maranakis family think about this. And if I put myself in the owner's position, I'm sat here and I'm thinking, right, so I buy this club. And this club was going nowhere when I bought it. It was a mess. And all right, I didn't get it completely right. But from day one, I've done everything within my power to get this team into the Premier League. I couldn't spend like I wanted to spend in the Championship because of financial fair play. Otherwise, he would have made this process move quicker. That was the idea, but he couldn't. So he eventually gets Steve Cooper and he gets on a roll and he gets into the Premier League. He then says to Steve on the, on the steps of the, of the council house, all the money we get from getting up, is your, we're going to spend. And he did. Wasn't hollow. He did it. He then went again in January, having kept the manager in October when he was about to get the sack. He then stuck with him again at the end of the season and then goes into the summer and bankrolls another huge recruitment drive to try and give the fans the club they want, which is a team in the top half of the Premier League. He's also talking about developing the ground, which is difficult because he's got to work with the council because he doesn't own it. So it's taking time, which he's getting criticism for as well in certain sections. But he's trying. It's his prerogative to do what he wants with that club. He owns it. And he's put more into it than any individual financially in the history of the football club. Far not. And he's now walking a tightrope between doing what he wants to do and what he thinks he needs to do and what everybody else wants to do. And I wonder whether he sits down and when he thinks about it, he thinks the loyalty should be to me because I've done this. And if I was him, I'd probably think that too. Because we just go, oh, he's a billionaire. Of course, he's going to spend all his money on Forest. Really? Really? It's all right saying it until you've got it and you've got to do it. And then you actually do it. And I think he deserves a massive amount of credit and complete support, whatever decision he takes. Because he didn't just throw Steve out last year when he had the chance. And he didn't do it again in the spring when he could have done. And he managed to try and work through a situation in the summer to try and improve the relationship. And he's still stuck with him now, despite an awful performance at Fulham and one or two others around it. I, I, if I were him, I'd expect the fan base to back me. I've got to be honest. And I wonder whether he sits there and thinks, really? What, what's, what's, what's the story here? Because he, he's, been, he's been amazing for the football club. Amazing for the football club. And, and whatever he chooses to do, I would back him 100%. Because I think while he's, while he's with us, He's always going to provide what he can to, to allow the club to grow and survive. I think he's fully committed with his family to do that. And I think at times like this, it's easy to say, Cooper, 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 because we've got a song about Steve Cooper. But I think the fans should be singing about the only, you know, from time to time, because he's done wonders for the club where it is now and back in the top flight. And, and Steve gets all of the credit for that, by the way, in general. And I think he deserves a lot more respect and credit for, for what he does, how he goes about it, and the commitment he's made to the club and the city. And, and, and if I were him, I'd be sat there thinking, are they really questioning what, what I'm going to do based on what I've done for everybody to this point and will continue to do? And by the way, he's doing it because he cares about it. He's doing it because he's passionate about it. I, I, I've been around him on a match day and he's absolutely kicking yeah. every ball and it kills him when they lose and he's the happiest man in the world when they win. And his emotions, it's impossible for, for, for him to keep them in. And, and it, it, it's, it's great to see. But I just think that, that that's the other side to this at the moment, that, that we should all just think about a little bit. Because without him, we'd be in a mess. 
Yeah, I know. I, I totally echo that. But I, I think that every club is critical of their owner. Well, not critical, sorry, um, has opinions about their owner. We see it with, with lots of different clubs. I, I, I think that the fans love Maranakis. But yeah, you're right. They, they don't shout his name on the terraces, which is odd. But does any owner's name get shouted on the terraces? Yeah, what I'm saying is they are picking sides at the minute, though, between the owner and the manager. Yeah, it's not like that for me. But then I'm just a I'm just a lowly fan. I I see it as Maranakis is doing his best for the club, and I just think, oh, well, I don't know, I don't know. It's such a mess. Let's uh, sweep up the game uh, in uh, in the last ten minutes. So just before that, uh, do us a favour if you are enjoying this, uh, like and subscribe. It makes a big difference. Or give us a good review on uh, iTunes. I read them all, and there's loads. So I really appreciate that. We've had over. Uh, 150 for iTunes and Spotify, so that means a lot and really does help spread the word. Coming back to the game, Emily, um, should we have won? I mean, Ilanga hit the bar, Koyate made a you know a bit of a pig's ear of a one-on-one, Toff headed over from six yards. I know Wolves had a lot more of the ball, but I thought we created all, pretty much all the big chances in the game. Is that your dog? Is that an ill-timed question for you? He likes to make a cameo every week, doesn't he? Um, yeah, yeah, we absolutely could have worked. He's called Freddy. Please don't shout Freddy. <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah. Um, sorry, yeah. So, um, first half, I when we conceded, I thought, oh, dear, this could turn really nasty because we weren't getting the ball. We were very passive. Um Yes, we scored a good goal, but it was out of nowhere, wasn't it? So at half time, I was thinking, right, damage limitation here. What's he going to do at half time? And then Forrest came out second half really positive. We had a little discussion, didn't we, at half time? And we all said, oh, God, this is not good. And actually, you, there, there were those moments. Alanga hit the ball bar, but he was offside, wasn't he? Uh, Toff towards the end missed the header, which was really frustrating. Kuate, I think it was the end of the first half, wasn't it, when he was clean through. And yeah. part of me thought anyone but him to, to take the shots, I think it would have gone in. But as we've said, Molyneux are really hard at Molyneux. Wolves are really hard to beat at Molyneux. So, um, yeah, we could have won, but what would Wolves have had in the bag if we had gone two on it? I wonder whether we could have we could have seen it out. Um, yeah, was, was Mangala the catalyst? Do you think second half? Because I thought he was. I he got yeah, on the ball. I mean, he's he's our steady Eddie, isn't he? Um, he kind of does everything right without being sensational, I would say. But no, he was he was superb, and he's quite rightly kept his place in that midfield three. We've talked about obviously Sangari, Dominguez, and Mangala, and. Literally a week ago, I was saying, you cannot break up this midfield three. They're amazing. They're brilliant. And then look at us now. We we don't know what we're doing with them. It's so frustrating because, you know, in certain games like the Villa game at home, you, they did everything right. And it's it's so, so frustrating that now we don't know who our midfield is. We, we thought we'd found a formula and, and clearly we haven't. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Mangala's the, the the stable one for me. There was that piece of skill in the second half, which was brilliant, which opened up yeah, the play. Turned, that bravery yeah, yeah. on the ball is something we've lacked, and he's the one who bought it. And he was very funny. I said this on Saturday post-match stream. It's funny his tweet about uh, thanking the fans with no Fulham shirt on or no shirt on in general, I thought. Um, he's got a True. Um, you're a bit of a Kuyate fan back from the West Ham days. I mean, he put a shift in, but he's got his hands on his knees at half time. He's blowing out of his backside. Uh, he's done a job for the team, but is he, uh, to me, the one you perhaps sacrifice to get one of these technical players, big money men, back in now? Yeah, I think so. I, I don't think he can sustain himself for ninety minutes or hundred minutes as it is now in the in the Premier League. And he, he was one of those that was bought in for for effort and and then Deva. He looked leggy, didn't he, when he got that one on one out of nowhere, and he had a bit of a snapshot where um, a more composed finisher might have um, had had the extra touch and tried to face up the keeper one on one. So. Yeah, Koyate's been a good player for us. He was great in survival mode last year. I think his his injury, his hamstring injury last year, cost us at a key time when he he was probably um, due a longer run in the side. But he's he can't be the answer for now. We can't punish um, every mistake, every bad performance every player has, or we wouldn't have a right back, for example. So yes, I would advocate for for leaving um, Czech out of the, the the team on on Friday night and and pull in one of the um more technically gifted players i'm just wondering about the shape as well because i i, I want to see morgan gibbs white in the 10 spot i've seen him try and play nine and fail 
We have no outlet when we ping the ball long, which we have to when we're under pressure. He is somewhat wasted um, off the right. He did have that assist um, last time out at home with the, the decent cross to the back stick for Freelanger to, to nod in. But I, I do still think there's a sense in, in building this team around Warren Gibbs-White in the 10 spot, particularly now if we're accepting that Sangari, Dominguez, Mangala don't have to play every time and that they're not the magic blend that we thought we were looking for and, and, and that we'd found. So, yeah, that's that's the concept. I think I'd look to build this team around now. Whatever shape we have, whatever um, sacrifice we have to make in the absence of, of Tywo, I've, I've said for me it's Chris Wood starting in the nine spot. But I just wonder if we can go back to that idea of building a team around Morgan Gibbs-White in his best position, his most effective position, the position from where he can create more and affect the game the most in the 10 spot. Yeah, I mean, five at the back does allow him to play centrally and it takes the heat off Sangare. I know I keep coming back to Sangare, but I actually buried him after the Fulham game. And I'm trying to be a bit more open-minded. And you have to have a way back for players. So, yeah, play him as a six. Have that protection behind him and let him ha- let him adapt. And, uh, yeah, like you said, get more out of Morgan. The problem is we can't score a bloody goal without Taiwo, can we? Because Ilanga's not a nine. Wood hasn't worked. Origi's been a real disappointment. So, yeah, we've certainly got a lot of issues. Um, just one more for you, Emily, before we wrap up. Um, what did you make of the goalkeeper change? I was surprised. Turner didn't have a lot to do. But he did it. His kicking's terrible. But in terms of general goalkeeping, I thought he did all right. Yeah, I was really surprised to see his name on the team sheet. But a lot of people were talking about it before, so it wasn't it wasn't like oh wow, uh, he did all right, didn't he? Didn't really have a lot to do. Vlakodimos um, has really disappointed me so far. Actually, doesn't get off his line, which is really frustrating. Um, so I can see why Cooper switched because we were leaking goals. Um, he had to do something, didn't he? And Turner did okay. Yeah, they both glued to their line. Yeah, there's no, there's no settled number one at all. Yeah, no, no, I get that, I get that, and isn't that annoying? But you know, when we signed both of them, we thought they'd be fighting for their place, but in a, a way that they're both doing really well. Whereas Lacodemos is somewhat disappointed so far. Yeah, uh, I think we covered all the ground. Uh, anything to say before we depart, Fletch? Any final message? No. Good. <laughs> I was just going to say something. There's there's a comment from Richard Spray at 10.54, if you can pull it, pull it up, which just encapsulated, I think, the discussion, because we have been a little bit downbeat and dour, haven't we? Um, but but he said, um, his heart is 100% Cooper, but the mind is, I don't know. It's a mess that we can't make sense of and has no clear discernible outcome. And I think that's that's probably the, the perfect summary of where we find ourselves at. We want results to improve with no need to make a change. We're, we're so ingratiated for what's gone before, but our objectivity now, and putting ourselves into the owner's shoes, as, as Fletch did uh, a little bit earlier, means that we can understand any decision that's that's taken. So, yeah, that one really summed it up for me. And just last point, somebody asked me how my um, glass kept filling up, and the answer is massive jug. <laughs> Not a magic trick. <laughs> Very good. Uh, anything from you before we depart, Emily? Don't think so. I've tried to be positive. I thought I was being positive, so apologies if that didn't come across. Just stick together. Whatever happens stick together. We've been through this before. We'll get through it. We've had most of my lifetime, it's been hell supporting Forest. So, you know, we know we can get through this. Just let's not divide the fan base. Let's just stick together. They're the experts. We're the lay people. If you think about it, the outcome is already set anyway. They either keep Cooper and do better or worse, or they get rid of Cooper and do better or worse. I mean, we, we kind of know what's around the corner. I, I just think the biggest conundrum the owner has right now is he clearly thinks things have to change whether that's the manager or results or both or whatever but there obviously isn't anybody that he's desperate to bring in now that has to be a good thing for Steve because the the people that are available he can't think are better than the manager that he has so it's obviously being done through um, sensible eyes if this was a knee-jerk decision it probably would have been taken so it's obviously being looked at and people are being analysed. And at the moment, he feels the man that he's got is the man that he needs. That may well change. But I would always say to fans, Manchester City won a Premier League with Manuel Pellegrini. And then the moment Pep Guardiola was available, they said, thank you, Manuel. There's your medal and your payoff. We need to now make the club better. So Pep's coming in. At the moment, that manager isn't available to the owner. But that happens at every football club everywhere at some stage I just think at the moment the owner is being sensible because he can't see a better alternative so he's sticking with a man that he knows 
And he clearly has more faith in Steve than maybe he's getting credit for the fact that Steve's still in the job at this point. So I think that's that's a positive for, for people who are 100% behind Steve at this point. And I, and I think the other thing um, is that regardless of what happens to him, his legacy in this city is set forever because he took the club back to where everybody dreamed it could get to. And he was the main reason for that. And the fan base and the city will never forget it. And I'm sure he's aware of that, but he needs to be aware of that. And if this does end at some stage this season, that will not tarnish the legacy or the affection that the fan base hold for the manager in any way, shape or form, I don't think. And I think that's really special. And I think regardless of what happens, that's something that he will take away with him. And it will always be something that he holds close to his heart. And when he does come back, if, if I mean, look, the ideal scenario for me as a fan is that he wins the next five. It all goes away. Forrest climb the league and we forget all about it. That's perfect. But I'm a realist as well. But it, if, if he did leave and he did come back with another club, I mean, he's guaranteed to be cheered from all four sides the minute he walks out. So that's special. And, and that won't change, I don't think, regardless. No, true. Um, I promised I'd shout out my friend Charlie at the end, who's a Wolves fan. But um, I've known him since I was like five or something. And he gave me a lift to the game. And somehow managed to park basically next to the Forest team coach, five yards from Molyneux, down some dodgy alleyway behind a block of flats. So well done to him. And also, he lives in the back end of nowhere, down a lane, uh, and he had to talk me up to it. And then he's then, then going out, his lane was flooded. He's like, I'll just drive through it. It's fine. And in my wife's car. Uh, and I expect, yeah, we, we made it through. But I expected we'd find some compound surrounded by people saying, you'll never take our guns when I got there. Uh, but it was, yeah. <laughs> Good to catch up with him. Good to have a beer pre-match. And, um, yeah, he, he enjoyed the game uh, a bit less than I did, I thought. I thought we were the better team and should have won. But onwards and upwards. Onwards and upwards is probably the, the good final message. Uh, let's see how we go against Spurs. Let's hope we get a win. And let's hope things pick up and we are celebrating a few more points for Forest. But in the meantime, thanks to everyone who has watched along and commented. Very much appreciated. Tim, thank you very much. Cheers, everybody. See you soon. Emily, thank you. Thanks, guys. And Fletch, thank you very much. Thanks, Paul. Uh, we shall be back on Wednesday, and then we'll have a um, preview for the Spurs game on Thursday and then a post-match stream as well. So join us for all of that if you can. And thanks again for all your support as we make our way on this new venture. In the meantime, have a good few days, and we shall see you soon. Sports Social Podcast Network. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.